All right. Hey, good morning, y'all. It's good to see you. Uh, man, what an awesome morning so far. What an awesome God that we serve. Amen. Uh, y'all are awesome. Thanks for bringing your full hearts when you come into this place. Uh, I want to give you a heads up. Uh, today we're going to be celebrating Lord's Supper. It is the first Sunday of the month, so we'll be doing that at the conclusion. If you're new with us or maybe not sure what that means, no worries. Uh, I'll give some instruction. No pressure to participate, but it is something that we do on a monthly basis and uh, love doing that with y'all. So we are in the year of discipleship. We are growing in the Lord through his word, and that is focusing around this Bible reading plan that we're doing called F260. Uh, I want to invite you to join us. We're jumping into week number 32. Uh, so if you haven't joined us or you've been hit and miss, uh, we are in the New Testament. So this is a great time to jump in. We have physical Bible reading plans over at Next Steps. You can also go to friendshipwire.com slash 2022. Uh, we're in this series, six of eight in 2022 called Word Made Flesh. Now, let me give you kind of a, a lay of the land where we're at in the Bible. We are in the New Testament. The Bible itself is made up of 66 individual books, an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament has 39 books, the New Testament 27. And the first four books of the New Testament uh, are called the Gospels. We refer them to, to them as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And those are four different gospel accounts or eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. So we see Jesus come to earth. We see his life and his ministry and eventually his death and resurrection. And so in this series, uh, Word Made Flesh, we, we are focusing, focusing in on the gospels when Jesus came and lived among us and what he did. And so today's title of the sermon is, Are You Good for Nothing? That's pretty insulting, isn't it? The very first question I ask you in the morning is, are you good for nothing? Uh, you're not supposed to cheer for that, <laughs> Tina. Um, are you good for nothing? You know what? <laughs> to be good for nothing means that you are worthless, right? So let me ask you a heavy question, and don't cheer for this, please. Have you ever felt in your life, have you ever felt worthless? Or like you're not worth very much? You know, that's, that's a heavy, awful feeling because every single one of us, whether you would care to admit it publicly or not, every single one of us has this inner desire to feel valued and to feel worth. And this is what I love about this very brief little passage that we're going to see in Matthew chapter 5, is it speaks right to this idea of our identity and our purpose as followers of Jesus. And you know what, maybe you're in the room or listening online and would not put yourself in this category. And I would say, man, I love that you're here. I love that you're listening. This is a great opportunity to listen in and to hear what is, what is a follower of Jesus? What is the identity and the activity of a follower of Jesus? The real thing, what does that look like? And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today. I invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn there or uh, turn in your digital bulletin and sermon notes. Go to uh, Matthew 5. Let me just give you some context for where we're at in the story of Jesus. So Jesus, we kind of talked about it last week, John chapter 1, but Jesus has come, God in the flesh. He was born of a virgin, uh, the Virgin Mary. He was born. He grew up. Luke chapter 2, 50, uh, 52, verse 52 says, this incredible verse that says that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So Jesus grew up uh, as a boy, as a teenager. He was a young man who increased in wisdom. And we see at about the age of 30, he comes on the scene and is baptized publicly by John the Baptist. And then immediately it says the spirit drove him into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. And this precedes his coming uh, 
onto the scene to start his public ministry. And so he begins his public ministry. He begins to call out disciples to follow him. And we see crowds begin to gather as he's teaching and he's healing and doing all these miraculous things and his fame begins to spread. And so this brings us to Matthew chapter five and what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this won't be on the screen for you, but, but Matthew 5, 1 says this, seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Okay, so it's called the Sermon on the Mount uh, for a reason. It was Jesus preaching a sermon on a mountain. All right, so very clever. Uh, but what we see is this, this sermon is Jesus' greatest and longest sermon. It stretches from chapter 5 to chapter 6 and to chapter 7. So if you all ever get on me for being long-winded, know it came from Jesus. All right, he set the pattern. I'm just following my Lord. All right. So he preaches this amazing sermon here called the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to make sure you understand the audience. The audience is, is his disciples or, or those who have responded to his call, we see in chapter 4, to follow him. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, it says that his disciples came to him. So this crowd is, is made up of, of followers of the Lord. And the purpose of this sermon, you know, a lot of people refer to this as his declaration of the kingdom. So he's speaking about the way the kingdom operates, the way that citizens of the kingdom live. He's not saying, you know, in chapters 5, 6, and 7 that we must do these things in order to get into his kingdom. What he's telling us, what he's laying out for us are spiritual implications of the rule of Jesus in our lives. So in other words, this is how we will live if Jesus is our Lord. Does that make sense? This is what he's laying out for us. Don't do all these things in order to be accepted or to, be, to enter into his kingdom. If you have already accepted him, you're part of his kingdom, you're a kingdom citizen, you're a Christian, these are things that will begin to flow out of your life, that you're gonna learn and grow in. So this is the purpose of this sermon. So Matthew chapter five, he starts out the sermon by walking through what we call the Beatitudes, and he begins to talk about blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, and so forth. And after he comes through these, he comes to verses 13 through 16, which we're going to read here together. Here's what Jesus says in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And y'all want to just ask you to bow your heads for a moment. Let me just pray as we enter into this time. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we have to open your word, to, to flip open the pages of your book where you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, thank you for the life and the ministry of Jesus that we're going to see today and throughout these next few weeks that we learn from. But God, more than anything that we learn, God, we see your sacrifice and your offering of yourself for us. Grace that we didn't deserve. Identity that you have given us, that you have spoken over us, that we could never earn. 
And so, Lord, thank you for your grace this morning. I pray that you would open our eyes to see. I pray that you would open our ears to hear. I pray that you would open our hearts to receive whatever it is that you want to say to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me give you a a bottom line from the start, a summary statement that I think wraps up what Jesus is saying to to us here in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Here's what he's saying is that we are living proof of a loving God to a watching world. We are living proof of a loving God to a watching world. In other words, when the world looks in on the people of God, the church of God, they ought to see this living proof, proves that there is a loving God who exists and loves them. Amen? This is what we are to be. We are living proof of a loving God to a watching world. So as we work through this passage, really there's three questions that I want to ask you based on this text. All right. The first one is this. What is salt good for? What is salt good for? I want to read verse 13 again. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. See, in Jesus' day, salt was a precious commodity. It was a valued commodity, so much so that that Roman soldiers sometimes got paid in salt. How would you all like that? All right. Uh, Have you ever heard the phrase, man, he ain't worth his salt? If you've heard that, that's where this comes from, the value of this precious commodity. And when we consider salt, um, you know, there's, there's many different uses. One of the uses that we hear of often when we come to this passage is that salt was used as a preservative. So, for instance, it would be used to preserve meat. And that's all well and good and true and applicable. But I think when you look at the passage in verse number 13, there's one main quality of salt that's emphasized here. Did y'all catch it? What is it? Taste taste, right? It's taste. Salt enhances flavor. Now, I know I I don't have to preach this all to you, but let let me ask you a question. I want you to be honest, all right? I'm not your, um, you know, your primary physician, your, you know, your doctor, but let me ask you a question. How many of y'all, when you sit down to a meal, it doesn't matter what it is, you reach for the salt shaker? How many of y'all, anybody want to admit that? Some of you are brave enough to say, I do, all right? So I grew up in a home where, you know, my, my mom is Asian, she's Vietnamese, and so she didn't use a lot of salt. And I didn't really get that, I didn't put salt on much until I married this wonderful woman from Kansas who her family uses salt quite a bit. And uh, I remember like pouring salt on vegetables and eating vegetables and going, oh my goodness, this is good. <laughs> all it takes is a little salt. I knew nothing of this. Salt enhances flavor. Um, so I love going to the movie theater and like digging into a like huge bucket of popcorn. I mean, it kind of, it's, it's kind of sick at some, some points because it's like I have so much salt caking my lips. Y'all ever been there? Um, so salt enhances flavor, but it also makes you thirsty, right? I can't, I can't dig into that bucket of popcorn without a big old like cup of soda, right? To, to wash it down and a big pile of napkins to wipe my salty lips. It's kind of miserable. Uh, But salt enhances flavor and it causes thirst. And so here's the question. How are we the salt of the earth? How are we the salt of the earth? Well, it's, it's a pretty simple answer, but this is how we function as the salt of the earth. We live for Christ. 
We live as kingdom citizens, not citizens of this world or the state, but of the kingdom of God. And so when you look at the, the Beatitudes and you look at all these other um, kind of terms of discipleship and what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, like when we live for Christ, when we represent our king well, we function as salt. Our holy lives, okay, and I, and I don't mean our self-righteous lives. I don't mean our holier-than-thou lives. Holy literally just means set apart. It's different. When our holy lives, our lives that are different from the world, our holy lives ought to create thirst in people, a thirst for God in others. You know what I'm saying? If our life is different, it creates this thirst. And you know what? People may not even be able to articulate that. Maybe you've had people say that before, like there's something about you. There's something about the way you carry yourself or the way that you talk or your perspective on like there's something different about you. That is, that is being salt of the earth. Now, a lot of us know what it means to be salty. You, you understand how to be a salty person. That's not what he's talking about. It's this, this enhancing flavor. So what is the temptation? What is the danger for us when it comes to being salt of the earth? Here's the danger, the temptation for us. We would lose our taste. Is that we would lose our taste, that we would begin to live for stuff, that we would live for self, that we would be known for not our wisdom, but for our foolishness, for immoral, unrighteous lifestyles. Because here, here's what he says, that if salt loses its taste, if it's no longer flavorful, he says it's, it's not good for some things. What does he say? It's good for nothing. And, and what he's referring to here in, in their day when salt lost its flavor, it was only good for one thing. It was only good to be spread on the ground in places where you would want to kill the vegetation. All right, so similar to how we might use gravel on grass to kill the grass, to, to kill the vegetation. He says, all it's good for is to be thrown on the ground and trampled under people's feet. It's worthless if it loses its taste. And so here is, here's kind of the harsh reality is that when you lose your way, when I lose my way, when we stop living to please the Lord, we lose our taste we lose our taste. Don't miss this. You lose the distinctive flavor that should mark the life of every follower of Jesus. Are you hearing me? There is this distinctive flavor, the way that we look at life, the, the kindness that we show to people, the way that we sacrifice to love others, the joy that we carry that permeates all that we do, even the hardship it ought to be different. It ought to be a distinct flavor. Do y'all realize that most people who reject Christ, they don't reject Christ because of Christ. They reject Christ because of Christians, little Christs, because they have lived in such a way that, that it has left a bad taste in their mouths because you claim to follow this God who is holy and good and kind, and yet I don't see any holiness or goodness or kindness in you. I see a lot of selfishness and self-centeredness. 
it leaves a bad taste in people's mouths. And so he's called us to be salt of the earth. What is salt good for? And then he moves on. Here's a second question for us is what is light good for? What is light good for? Let's read verses 14 and 15 again. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. I want to read you a little quote that I, I caught in my ESV study Bible, and I just think it's, I love this, this uh, term in here it uses. It says, a typical lamp in a Jewish home was fairly small, and it was placed on a stand to give maximum illumination. All right, maximum illumination. I love that phrase. Um, it reminds me, have you all ever seen like the, the Minions movies where it's like illumination entertainment and they're like, illumination! You know, you know what I'm talking about. It's just for whatever reason that's in my brain. Um, illumination, squirrel. Um, the purpose of light is to illuminate. It is to illuminate. It's to expose what is there. Have y'all ever been like in your vehicle and you're driving and you know you think your windshield looks nice and clean and then all of a sudden you drive into the sun and it looks kind of like this? Boom, and you're like, oh my goodness, this is filthy. I never knew. And then you get to you know your destination and then you know you go on with your life and a few days later you're driving into the sun, and you're like, oh man, I gotta clean that filthy windshield. Or maybe in your house you think it's you know spick and span, like who needs to clean? It looks great, and then like Sunlight comes flooding in the room and you realize your house looks more like the picture on the screen right here. I don't know if y'all can see that. It's like layers and layers of dust. And you're like, oh, I guess I need to clean. Um, but this is what light does. It exposes what's, what's there. It illuminates. It reveals what is there. And so when you move into the New Testament, we didn't look at it in particular last week in John chapter 1. We, we see this beginning in John 1 and all throughout the New Testament that Jesus is described as light. In John chapter one, verse nine, it says this, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And we saw the word made flesh and dwelt among us. He, Jesus is the true light that gives light to everyone. Later on in the gospel of John, chapter eight, verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then in John 12, verse 46, Jesus again, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And so Jesus is described as light. And this fulfills what was prophesied of him in the Old Testament. In fact, Isaiah 49, verse 6 declares this. This is this prophecy about the coming Messiah, Jesus, and the ministry of the Messiah. The Lord says, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And so Jesus came to reveal God to us. He came to Ex illuminate our minds and our hearts and expose the truth about who we are, that we're sinners, but that God is this loving, gracious, merciful God of steadfast love. And he came to shine light. We are blind and we are in darkness and the darkness of our sin and we are in need of light. And so Jesus comes as the light of the world. And yet in Matthew 5, Jesus says, 
you are the light of the world. So how is this that we are now the light of the world? What do we do as the light of the world? Well, we, we, we participate in the ministry of Jesus. We simply reveal God to others. Uh, our lives act as this illumination to invade the darkness of others' lives and of others' hearts and of others' sinfulness to help them to see the light of the gospel. And I want to show you what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 6. Here's what Paul says. Even if our gospel is veiled, in other words, if your light has, has a basket put over it, even if our gospel is veiled or hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In other words, those who are bound to suffer judgment and spend eternity separated from God. Verse number four, in their case, the God of this world, that's speaking of Satan, the enemy of God, in their case, those who are perishing, those who are unbelievers, the, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them, catch this now, from seeing the what? The light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, the, the whole game plan, the MO for enemy of God, Satan, is to blind the minds of people who have not yet seen the goodness of God. It's to blind their minds so that it would not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Verse, verse five, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Remember, this is what he declares in Genesis chapter one, John chapter one, let light shine out of darkness. God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown where? In our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The one who brought light out of darkness in the beginning and the creation account is the same one who has brought light into the darkness of our souls to reveal the light of the gospel, the glory of God. And so he says, you are the light of the world. You are to reveal God to others. You your souls are illuminated and then you serve as light to help others come to the light of Christ. And, and, and listen, this isn't just an individual mandate. All right, like your light and your light and your light and your light. No, this is a, a collective corporate you. The people of God are the light of the world. This is why he says you are a city on a hill. Have any of y'all ever been on a flight uh, at night where you look out and it's dark and maybe you see like a light here and there, but all of a sudden, you know when you're coming up on a city, right? There is this corporate collection of many, many lights and you go, oh, there's a city, there's life there, right? It's a city on a hill cannot be hidden. That's the, He's speaking to the beauty of the church, the family of God that we collectively one little light, man, I'm telling you, a spark can light up a dark room, but there's something about many, many lights corporately joined together, shining brightly. This is the church, y'all, is we are a city on a hill. And so what is the temptation for us? What is the danger for us when it comes to being the light of the world? 
It's that we would hide our light. It's that we would hide our light, that we would make our faith private. And y'all have heard me say this. I say this sometimes during our, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, is that our faith is meant to be personal. Absolutely. It's between us and the Lord, yes, but it's not meant to be private. It's not meant to be hidden in a closet. It's not meant to be covered with a basket. Our faith is to be open and outward. Others ought to see our good works. We're not to keep it to ourselves. We're to share it with others. Because light that's covered up, light that is hidden is no, no longer useful. Life, uh, light that is covered up is good for nothing. Let me say it this way. When light is hidden, darkness prevails. Just think about that. That's true physically. That's true spiritually. When light is hidden, darkness prevails. And y'all, our world is in darkness and needs our light, the light of the gospel. And if we hide our lights or if we imitate the darkness, if we live just like the rest of the world does, we have nothing to show the world. We have nothing to show the world. And so here is kind of the third question and application question. This is a hard one that I can't answer for you. This gives us some direction, but this is a question that each one of us has to answer. What are you good for? And I want to read verse number 16. Here's what Jesus says. He says, in the same way, in, in the same way that a city on a hill cannot be hidden and, and you put light on a stand, not under a basket, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. You know, let me kind of start out this question. Let me frame this with this this thought, activity always flows out of identity. Activity always flows out of identity. So what we do flows out of who we are. So in other words, you know, let's think about occupations and different jobs. If you are a teacher, your activity, what you do day to day is determined or it flows out of your identity as a teacher. All right. If you are a student, same thing. If you are a mom or a dad, your activity flows out of your identity. There's things that you do as a mom or dad that normal people do not do. You know what I'm saying? It's because that is your identity. If you are a law enforcement officer, your activity flows out of who you are, your identity. If you're a mechanic, if you're a truck driver, if you're a pastor, whatever you are, whatever your identity is, your Activity always flows out of your identity. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, I just want to remind you of this, is that your primary identity, my primary identity, we talked about this last week, is a son or daughter of God. And so this identity as a son of God, a daughter of God, dictates our activity. Who we are determines what we do. Who we are determines what we do. I say that because I want you to see this in this, this passage. Jesus does not ask us to become salt. He does not ask us to become light. What he does is he simply declares over us our identity. He says, you are 
salt. You are light. This is who you are. If you are in Christ, you are salt and you are light. The hard thing about this is the reality is either we're fulfilling or we're failing in that responsibility, right? That is the hard truth is that either we're fulfilling or we're failing that responsibility. And that's a heavy load, right? Either you are living as salt and light or you're failing at it. That is a heavy load. And y'all, this is why we need the gospel. Because the gospel doesn't load burdens upon us. The gospel removes burdens from us. The gospel isn't do better, try harder, taste better, shine brighter. The gospel isn't do. The gospel is done. That we run to Christ who has done everything. He has sacrificed everything. He has accomplished everything. He has provided everything through his death and his burial and his resurrection. And so we don't need to become more of anything. We run to Christ. Amen? We run to Jesus. And so you are salt. You want to taste good? Don't try harder. Don't be better. Don't try to be saltier. Feed on Christ. Feed on his word. Feed on his goodness. Psalm 34 verse 8 says it this way. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The psalmist in Psalm 63 verse 5 says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And all the Southern Christians said, Amen, right? My soul will be satisfied. So there's a little bit of permission there. Okay. Eat up, enjoy it. My mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. There is no... There is no coincidence, it's no mistake that God describes his word and his presence as honey. It's sweet. He describes his word as bread that we are to fill up on every word of God. He describes it as milk that satisfies us, meat, praise the Lord. (laughs) Sorry, vegetarians. It's good. We are to taste and see that the Lord is good. You are salt. You want to taste better? Feed on. Taste the goodness of the Lord. And I'm telling you that saltiness will produce itself. If you will run to Christ and feed on him, you are light. You want to shine bright? Don't just try to shine brighter and do more and be better. Remember what we saw. Jesus is the light of the world. In other words, he is the source. We are nothing more than the moon reflecting the light of the sun. Y'all realize the, the moon does not produce any light on its own. All it does is reflect the light of the sun. So again, if you want to shine bright, feed on him. Feed on him. 
on his word, feed on his goodness. Because here is the reality is that you and I, we will always be a reflection of the people that we spend the most time with. We will always be a reflection of the ones who influence us the most. If you're a parent, you get this. You get that kids are a reflection of their parents. Love it or hate it, right? And so like I think about my own kids and when they do something that's you know, silly or ridiculous or foolish, I realize, I'm like, okay, this is a result of them spending so much time with their mother, right? <laughs> and their father and, and all of us, the whole crowd. But he, think about, here's another example. Think of anything solar powered, all right? Maybe, you know, you've used a, I don't know, a solar powered calculator. Maybe, I don't know if those exist. Use your phone now. So who needs a solar powered calculator? Uh, maybe you have solar pa- panels on your home or we have, you know, our tear, teardrop tailor has, uh, trailer has a uh, solar panels, you know, right, that provide um, energy and power. But think about anything that's solar powered. How do they work? How do they function? They only operate, they only function, they base, base solely upon how much power they absorb from the light of the sun, right? This is the truth about us too, that we only have as much power and energy as we absorb from the sun. Malachi 4 verse 2, speaking of Jesus and this prophecy of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes and it says, but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And I love some translations, capitalized sun, capital S-U-N. It's speaking of Jesus Christ that when he returns, he's gonna come, he's gonna, like the sun in the east, he's gonna rise, he's gonna come back just like the moon reflects the light of the sun, y'all. We are, we are ones who don't produce any light of our own. We only reflect the light of the sun, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the more time that we spend in the light, the more light we will reflect in our lives. And so this is why every single week for 32 weeks now, we're pushing F260 Bible reading plan We want to be in the word of God to soak in the the light of the sun so that we can produce power and light with the goal being, verse 16, here's what he said, so that others will see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. So we don't do good works and good things for show. We don't do it so others will see us and say, hey, look at me. We do good works to reflect the goodness of God so that others will see the Lord and give glory to him. Amen? We are living proof of a loving God to a watching world. We are salt. We are light. We are living proof. You, this week, you are living proof of a loving God to a watching world. I am living proof of a loving God to a watching world. We are a living proof of a loving God to a watching world. When the world is in chaos, when the world is divided over everything, they can look to the church who is united around the gospel of Christ and go, wow, that is different. That is distinct. And I want some of that. 
We are living proof of a loving God to a watching world. I love how Pastor J.D. Greer says it. He says it this way. The church is God's demonstration community. The church is God's demonstration community. In other words, we get to demonstrate. We get to show the world the very character, the very nature of God and his kingdom through the way that we live our lives. We, the church, we are God's demonstration community. We're living proof of a loving God to a watching world. So uh, just to kind of bring us to a close here, um, my wife Annette and I, we love military families. Um, Some of y'all serve, have served. Thank you for your heart of service and the way you serve and have served our nation. Um, We love military families. Um, This is is maybe... um, well, let me say this. So, you know, my dad was in the Navy. He was a, a, a Navy CB, construction battalion, all right? He did that, uh, served in Vietnam, but he was four years and out. And so that was way before I was even, I even came on the scene. So I don't think of uh, being a military kid, um, but my dad served uh, our country. Uh, I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, uh, which is the home of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, uh, incredible Air Force Base there. Uh, we spent some years serving and living in uh, areas and in churches in uh, one, uh, Elizabeth City, North Carolina, which is Northeast North Carolina. They have a Coast Guard base there. Now I know some of you military folks are like, yeah, they don't count. Um, they do. All right. They're awesome. I love Coasties. Um, got to know some incredible, incredible families there. Uh, we also lived for a time in Virginia Beach, Virginia, uh, which again uh, has a uh, the largest naval base there. And so we got to know a number of Navy uh, folks and families and Navy SEALs who are their own breed and they're awesome too. Um, love military families. Uh, actually, let me re- rephrase that. I have a love relation, love-hate relationship with military families. Love them, love their heart to serve. I mean, that's, that's what they do. That's, you know, how they spend their lives. They've, it's a life of self-sacrifice. Um, I love military families. I hate saying goodbye to them. Yeah, every three or four years, it's like, uh, we don't want to dig into any relationships with military families anymore because they're going to rip our hearts out when they pick up and move. Um, but what I love, and I think this is a stereotype, um, it's not always true, but like on our, based on our experience serving in the church and pastoring and being around military families, I, I would say this is generally true that uh, most military families jump right in and serve, like from the start. And I love it. And the mentality they have is, is hey, we're only going to be here three or four years, so um, we've got no time to waste. Um, My time here is short. I think of uh, the Beckett's, Joy and JB Beckett, who came to us last July and left us a couple months ago, um, jumped right in and I loved them. I loved the way they served our church and the Lord and they weren't even here a year. Doggone, I was like, you were supposed to be here three years and you left. Uh, I think about um, the Crusoe family. Uh, Cass and April and their kids who, I don't know, three weeks ago jumped in and uh, have been as involved uh, as some folks get in three years. I mean, they just jumped right in. It's such a blessing to us. Uh, And I love, I love, I love, love that. Um, And again, if you serve uh, or have served our country, thank you. But what I love is this mindset, this heart to serve. 
because it's this, this mindset that says, my time here is short. I don't have any time to waste, so I'm going to jump right in. Y'all, shouldn't that be the mindset of every follower of Christ? That we would say, my time on this earth is short. I'm going to give the Lord everything I have, all that is within me, here and now. I have no time to waste. The time I have on this earth, the precious few years, and you, those of you that have, are growing in age, you recognize what I'm saying. These precious few years, I don't have time to waste. I want to make a mark on eternity. I want my life to draw people to Christ. I want my good works to be seen and to cause others to glorify God. That should be the desire of every single one of our hearts. And so let's take a cue from our military friends. Can I speak this over you this morning that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This is who you are in Christ. And so let's taste his goodness. Let's bask in the light of the sun. Let's make a difference, amen. And so God, this morning, I wanna say thank you for your goodness and your grace toward us. What an amazing, amazing God that you are. Thank you for the identity that you have given to us in Christ. May we, may we not run from it, but may we run headlong into it. May we, may, may we embrace the identity that you have given and live as salt and light. We pray in Jesus' name.